right, good evening everybody, welcome you guys online. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. Uh, with uh, Zach already praying for our study, we're going to get right into it. So Luke chapter 14 tonight, we've crossed the border from chapter 13 and now we're in 14, we finished that last week and so tonight we're going to do the first 14 verses, 1 through 14 tonight and uh, I was reading a while back, a number of years ago, this TV reality star in New Jersey filed for bankruptcy with over $11 million in debt. It seems that in one season of the show, uh, she spent $1.8 million on things like buildings, a new mansion, and then she was also driving around a Cadillac Escalade costing $1,280 a month. She threw like super fancy parties for children, uh, racked up like $104,000 in credit card debt. Uh, $20,000 was just, just $20,000 from one high-end uh, department store, and all built up to $11 million that she was in debt. So she filed for bankruptcy. But you know what the crazy thing is? What was really shocking is after filing for bankruptcy, she went ahead and spent another or charge, I should say, another $53,800 on the shopping spree for furnishing the house. Crazy, right? I mean, why spend money you don't have? Well, it seems that she does what many people are trapped in, and that is keeping up appearances. And that's exactly what we're going to see tonight with what the Jewish religious leaders are doing as we continue in our study through the book of Luke. So our title is just that, Keeping Up Appearances. And again, as I mentioned, we're going to do Luke chapter 14 from verse 1 through 14 tonight. That'll be our study, our passage. And so we see these guys uh, keeping up appearances in, in three ways. Number one, they're showing off like the fake spirituality. We see it in the fake celebrity. And we see it, number three, in the fake hospitality. And so that's our outline for tonight. For tonight. That's what we're going to be seeing in our passage we're looking at. So, keeping up appearances, and Jesus exposes the religious leaders in doing that. The first thing we find is the fake spirituality. Number one in our outline, the fake spirituality. Now, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 6 in this section. But first of all, Luke chapter 14, take a look at verse 1 and 2. It says, on one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. So we'll stop right there. We begin here, Luke, the, the writer of this gospel, and, and he brings in this account, this story. And he says, one Sabbath, there was this one Sabbath that Jesus was invited basically to eat at a house of the ruler of the Pharisee. Basically, he was a high-ranking uh, guy that was over other Pharisees. And um, so he, he, he had, you know, this dinner and invited Jesus. Now, Pharisees are one of the groups of religious leaders 
in Israel at this time. We had Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and and mainly though Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Pharisees, they're the real legalistic bunch, and they're really out there trying to get Jesus. So here's this high-ranking guy, this high-ranking Pharisee. He invites Jesus to come and dine with him. Now, here it says in verse 1, that you went in to dine at this house of the Pharisee. And notice this is, they were watching him carefully. So they speaks of not just the head guy, but there was other Pharisee guys there. And we're going to see there were scribes. We're going to see there was these lawyer guys. And we're going to see that come, come to pass. And, and so they were there, these lawyers, watching carefully, really to see if they can catch Jesus violating the law, the laws and customs of the Sabbath, because this was one Sabbath, they're dining, right? So, here's Jesus, invited to dine with this head Pharisee ruler guy, with other Pharisees at, at this place. And they were watching him, and then verse 2 says, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropped seed. So, uh, it, it just so happened, there's this man, he wasn't well, his health wasn't good, he has something called dropsy here in the ESV, or uh, another word for his endema, which is swelling caused by buildup in the flu, build up of fluid in the tissues. The NLT actually puts it that he, was, he had swollen arms and legs. He was like all swollen, he had this condition and all. Now, I want you to take note here in verse 2, where it says, And behold, there was a man before him. Uh, the word there means in front of. So all of a sudden, here's this guy in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know if these Pharisee guys are having this meal and everything, and then, and then maybe this guy was outside or something. They brought him in, right? They brought him before Jesus, right there, put him in front of Jesus. Basically, when it says before, they planted this guy right there in front of Jesus. I mean, why would the Pharisees even allow this sick man into their little meal here? They, they would never do that. But behold, there he is, right in front of Jesus. They would normally allow it, but suddenly this guy is here. So really, right away, what we see is the man was purposely planted there as bait to catch Jesus violating the Sabbath law, right? They're watching him. They're carefully like looking for something. Let's see if that. So they bring in this guy and they plant this guy right there to catch Jesus violating the Sabbath law. Now remember, in our passage or in, in Luke now, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, right? He's, going, he's on his way. He's going to go to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going there for his mission. Uh, he came to this earth, became a baby, a man, to die on the cross and rise again from the dead, to die on the cross for our sins. So he's heading to Jerusalem. Now all that happens when Jesus and this evil plan of the religious leaders to get rid of Jesus, they meet together in that holy city, and it all happens, and he's condemned to that. So these guys are looking for something to find, to, to use against Jesus, so they can accuse him and justify him to be condemned. So here, they create this situation knowing Jesus will go against their laws and customs, knowing that Jesus, seeing this guy, because they know, the, seeing this, this guy who, who is ill in health, knowing that Jesus will have compassion on this guy 
And so they're using that compassion of Jesus against him to trap him. How sad. What we see in the first two verses is this setup. This was a setup by the Pharisees. They invited Jesus, oh, come, come and dine with seemingly maybe religious interest, maybe a spiritual interest, interest, but it was really a fake spirituality. They had another plan. They had another uh, idea for having Jesus there. How heartless is it? is that these guys are mercilessly even using this man's suffering to try and trap Jesus. There's, there's no compassion for the guy. They didn't really care. Yeah? They just wanted to use him to get to Jesus. So that's what's going on here. Now look at verse 3 and uh, through verse 6. It says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So the story goes on here, the account here. Notice how it says in verse 3, Jesus responded. I, I think that was interesting because Jesus knew exactly why they had him there. So he responded to their little trap yeah, that they were setting up for him. So he responded here, says, to the lawyers. Remember I mentioned these are the scribes. Many, many of the scribes were Pharisees also. They were experts of the, of the Jewish law, of their customs, and, and what is, what is uh, uh, actually uh, legal or not, correct or not, if you know, you're going to violate the Sabbath or, or, or that. And, and so that's sort of watching him closely, right? So he asked these lawyers, he asked them, the Pharisees there, he's saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now with this, understand Jesus is turning the tables. He's, he's turning the tables and puts the focus back on them. They're focusing on Jesus. They're all like, Oh, let's see him trip up. But with that question, he actually flips it around on them. And I was thinking, oh, you cannot outwit God. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. Now, it says here that in verse 4 that they remain silent. Now, why is that? Why, why would they be silent? You know, what, what, why? Well, I, I was thinking there's two reasons. First of all, they were in shock. I think this was not expected. They thought, look, we'll bring him to dinner, and then we'll all be around, yeah? All these Pharisees, scribes, full-on witnesses here. They'll bring him to dinner. And then number two, they'll bring in this guy. Yeah, they probably had him staged, you know, outside, ready to bring in. And as soon as they bring in a guy, then Jesus is going to see him, and Jesus is going to have compassion, and then Jesus will heal him. And then they can accuse him. Oh, no, oh, no, right? And they have something. Oh, we're going to catalog this. We're going to write this down. We're going to report you. All right, they have something against Jesus. So all of a sudden, Jesus, he doesn't heal the guy right away. He actually asked them a question, and I think it just disrupted their whole you know, mental plan and focus and all this. So I think they're just in shock. So they didn't know what to say. But second thing is because of that, they saw their plan just fall apart. It just crumbled to pieces. I don't think they knew what to do. Now, they could have answered. 
they could have said, no, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, which is their rules. Their rules and customs say, hey, healing is actually considered work unless it's a life or death situation. Then, then, then that's okay. But clearly this is not. He has this kind of health condition. He's not dying. He's swollen all over. He's probably suffering. But still, it's not life or death. And they could have said, no, it's not, it's not uh, uh, lawful. Yeah, No, you shouldn't do that. I don't know, I was thinking maybe they didn't say that because, well, one, they're just tripping on anyway. But maybe the Sabbath was going to be over in a little bit and Jesus could just say, okay, well, we'll wait, let's talk story a little while, you know. And then maybe in a couple hours, I don't know. Who, who knows, you know, the, maybe the Sabbath ends Saturday at 6 p.m. So I don't know, maybe it's that. And But it still messed up their plan, right? They wanted to get to Jesus. They're just so wanting to get to Jesus. If they said, Yes, they couldn't say yes, of course, because that, that would totally against, go against their plan and even their own rules of what they believe it meant to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus really got them. That's why they remained silent. They, they couldn't speak. They couldn't say anything. Jesus turned the tables and trapped the Pharisees in their own trap. I was thinking about Proverbs twenty six twenty seven says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. So you try and trap someone, it's just going to come back on you. That's what that proverb talks about, and that's what's going on here. You can't mess with God with these things. So in their silence, what does Jesus do? Verse 4, well, he took the guy, healed him, and he sent him on his way. So they had brought the guy in, he heals him. Okay, go on, go ahead. So now here's the silent Pharisees. The healing has happened. And now Jesus is with the, this whole group of Pharisees at, at the table. So what does Jesus do? Well, he asked them another question. <laughs> I like this. He asked them another question. Yeah, They didn't answer the other one. So the first one. So here's another one. Hey, don't you guys work on the Sabbath or consider, quote unquote, what is work when you help your son, like your own child, or even your precious ox, right? Back then, if you had one ox, right? I mean, that was like like having a $50,000 car or something. You know, it was real precious to you. I mean, it, it did work for you. It was, it was very, very, very valuable, especially in an agrarian society. So if, if your child fell in a well or if the ox was in the well on the Sabbath, don't you guys like immediately go run and pull him or pull the ox out? You don't say, oh, no, it's against the law. Oh, no, we, we got to wait till tomorrow or we got to wait, you know, till the Sabbath is over and all that. No, here's someone precious. Here's something precious. Here's something worth a lot of money. So they're going to go immediately and rescue the child or rescue that ox and get him out of the well. Well, of course they would do that. Basically, that's what um, Jesus is saying. Well, you guys would do this, right? And then notice their response. Verse 6, there was none, right? right? And they could not reply to these things. They, they, they couldn't say anything. They were caught. If they said, oh yeah, sure, then, well, how about this guy, right? They, they would be shamed, and they were shamed anyway. They could not, so again, they were silent. These guys are the high, like, makamaka guys, these Pharisees. 
They were supposed to be the super spiritual ones. Know the law. Know, have answers. But they were quiet. They appeared, right? They walked around like they're the spiritual ones, the holy priests and all that. But not really. For here Jesus exposes the fake spirituality. And that's the point. Where they live by a double standard. That's what he's bringing out. Jesus exposed the fake spirituality where they live by a double standard. Another proverb, Proverbs 20.10 says, False weights and unequal measures. The Lord detests double standards of every kind. I think uh, uh, that was the NLT version. I like that. He detests those unequal weights and double standards. That's what Jesus is exposing with these guys. They, they had one standard, right? Or everyone with the, uh, and Jesus with healing. But hey, they would violate that to save something precious to him. So why not this guy? In the autobiography of Mahatma Gandhi, there's a very sad and shocking story about his experience with Christians. Uh, it goes like this. As a young student, he was interested in the Bible, actually. He read the Gospels and was deeply touched. And seriously, he was actually considering Jesus. He liked the compassion of Jesus. It, it, it seemed to offer a real solution to this caste system, right, that he grew up in that was there in India that was dividing the people of India. And that's what he was really against, right? So one Sunday morning, he decided to go to church and talk to the pastor about Jesus, salvation, and doctrines, just to get some understanding. But when he, when he showed up and he entered the, the church sanctuary, the usher, seeing him, refused to seat him and suggested he go back and worship with his own kind of people. Isn't that crazy? That day, he left and he never came back. He, he writes, he, he said to himself, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Later, Gandhi is actually quoted saying, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. Isn't that sad how we can have double standards sometimes? How sad when Christians are no different, you know, than these Pharisees. How sad when, oh yeah, we talk about love and all that, but we don't love, yeah? How sad we talk about, oh no, we, you know, we, we accept everyone, but we are prejudiced. We, we do draw lines and borders and certain peoples. and we, it, It's crazy how we can still be like that. And you know what the crazy thing to me is? These Pharisees, right? They're trying to catch Jesus and violating the Sabbath law because he better not do it. He shouldn't do that, right? But what are they doing? They're plotting. They're being deceptive, yeah? They're being all sneaky. I mean, is that really right, too? But what happens is legalism blinds you to your own uh, violations. That's, that's what really happens. I mean, it, uh, if we get all legalistic, you know, uh, with things or something, uh, we end up being blind to our own faults. It's easy to look at other people. Oh, look at them. Look what they're not doing. But then you, get, you make allowances for yourself, right? But then those guys, no, no, no. And you're blind to your own violations. And that's what these guys are doing. They, they, they look like 
they're spiritual and so godly and holy. These priest guys are these Pharisees. But it's really fake spirituality here because they, they really have a double standard in everything that they do. And that's why. And that's where here we see Jesus exposes. They're just keeping up appearances of the spirituality. All right, let's go on to number two now. The fake celebrity. The fake celebrity. And here we're going to cover verses 7 through 11, if you're taking notes there. But first of all, beginning at verse 7 through verse 9 now, it says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both uh, who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Now pause right there. Now, in this moment, Jesus really takes this opportunity, as he has these guys, to address another issue that is really stumbling these guys that seem so spiritual, right? They're not. So Jesus gives this parable and I believe because he, he, he saw all of this happen at this, at this meal. So they were like vying for places of honor. In other words, seats of honor. He saw that in verse 7. They, they chose the places of honor. They, he saw them like fighting for that, vying for that. So he tells them this parable, this, this illustration analogy. It's kind of like, oh, you know, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, you know, don't just go and, and sit down in that place of honor, that seat of honor. Now, back then, the wedding feast, is, it, it was usually the biggest party, you can say, the biggest meal, celebration, feast in the community. So it was a big deal. Everyone came out. There's a lot of people there. So he brings up a wedding feast, you know, where there's a lot of people around. And then understand, in ancient times, at these formal meals, the guest of honor would sit at the head of the table. That, that would be like the seat of honor. And then there was a, a, a other like levels. Uh, the second guest of honor would sit down at the right hand of the main guest of honor. And the third guest of honor would sit on the left side. So those were the, 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 the seats of honor, the place of honor. And these guys, could you imagine, Jesus is there and these guys are coming in and, and, and they're probably fighting for that. Yeah? Jesus watches these Pharisees and scribes vying for the seat next to the guest of honor, the number one guest of honor. You know who that would be? That would be the ruler, yeah? the Pharisee ruler guy. Maybe it was his house and all, and I'm sure he had servants and he was the host, but he was also that honored honored person at the table so he sat at the end so here's these other guys trying to trying to like musical chairs you know you know sit real quick and you know ha, 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 i got there before you probably laughing ha, 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 loser you know kind of thing right so he sees some commotion and vying for these seats there that's how these guys were Matter of fact, in Matthew 23, verse 6 and 7, Jesus says, talking about the Pharisees, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, like that place of honor in synagogue, and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. 
They like that position. They like that celebrity kind of status where people look uh, up to them and, oh, oh, that's the guy, you know, yeah, look at that. Or they like that place where those people were supposedly to sit. So Jesus says, basically, in verse 8 and verse 9, look, you know, if you go for taking that seat, what if someone more distinguished, what if someone more, you know, like in a higher place comes to that feast also? And you don't know he's coming, but the, the host invited them. He enters in, and then the host says, um, sorry, you got you to gotta take another seat, you know. And, and because this guy has to sit there. He, he's, he's at a higher level. And then Jesus says, then you got to move to that lowest place. Maybe it's the last seat open because everyone wants to sit in the other places. And you'll end up changing your seat in total shame. So Jesus is basically saying, look, you guys, when you seek to sit on top, it will bring shame at the bottom. That's that's what's going to happen. You're going to seek to sit on top. It will only end up bringing shame to you at the bottom. I remember one time I was in um, the airport in Kauai and I was heading home and when I got to the gate it was, it was super packed with people. It's a flight to Maui and, and, and you know how there's lines? You know, I, I don't know how it is now. <laughs> COVID times, pre-COVID, there's all different lines and lines and stuff. And you could tell that some people in the line at the gate were making sure that they want to be up front, first on a plane. They didn't want to give up their spot. Yet they're just, you just got this feeling um, there near the front of the line. But when the call was made to board the flight, they soon realized that they're in the wrong line because they're standing on a Fly Hawaiian, you know, has that first class premier line. They, they were standing in that line. And then they shamefully had to go to the regular line, but it was all super long already, so they ended up way in, in the back. And when they left the line, I got to move up because I, I, I have premiere, and um, I, I actually was able to board early before everyone else. But I was thinking about that, how any one of us could be like if these Pharisees and scribes, pushing for this for the seed of status, yeah? But really, it's just pretending you're a celebrity, a fake celebrity. It's really our pride and how ugly pride can make us look. And that's what we see here. Verse 10, Jesus then says, here in verse 10, But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For, verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here Jesus says, look, here's what's better, you guys. Here's what's better. Go sit at the lowest place. Go to the end of the table. And then when the host comes, he's going to say, hey, what, what, what are you doing here? No, 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 come sit there. And then with, rather than being shamed, then you will be honored. For, Jesus says, basically, this is the principle. It's the principle of God. If you exalt yourself, you know what? You're going to be humble. If you humble yourself, then you will be exalted. I think 
Jesus is bringing here when he says in verse 11 this principle that it's not anything new. It's something they should know. I mean, these religious leaders should have known better. But you know what? They were so consumed with their thirst for power, money, and that celebrity status. They wanted that status. They wanted that. And so that pride made them crazy, right? About making themselves look good, look good in the eyes of others. I think Jesus, Jesus is trying to lay out. Come on, you guys. You know this. Jesus probably had in mind in what, here's another Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 6 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. But you know what they did? Rather than following what the word said, Rather than submitting their pride and their self and their desires under the word, in submission to the word, they put their pride and self before the word. I mean, think about it. These are Pharisees. These scribes are expert in the law and the word they're supposed to be. And they should know these things. But their pride, their self was more important than the word. So Jesus basically saying, stop being such the fake celebrity here. It's, and this is the point. It's better to humble yourself first and let God lift you up later. That's what he's saying. It's better to just humble yourself and let God do the lifting up. right? Let God exalt you later. Turn over to the right to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. It says here, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. That's the principle. That, that, that's that's. That same as Proverbs. That same as what Jesus was talking about. That same as, I think, there's scripture in James, right? Right? Humble yourself and, and God, under the grace of God, and God will lift you up. You know, that's the principle here. It's better to humble yourself first and let God lift you up later. You know, I was touched by something um, F.B. Meyer said, and, and um, listen to what he said. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another, and the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. Now I find that God's gifts are on the shelves, one beneath another, and the lower we stoop, the more we get. I like that. I think that was, that was good. I think that's something good to keep in mind. That as we grow in the Lord, as God gifts us and, and, and expands our ministry or how He uses us or, 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 or as we become the person He wants us to be, you know, it's not like, oh, we're getting better than anyone. No, it's better to stay humble. And when you stay humble, God will lift you up more. When a Christian named Sammy Morris arrived from Africa and came to Taylor University in Indiana to go to school, 
he was um, asked by the school president there, he was greeted and said, okay, uh, what, what room you wanted? And Samuel replied, if there's a room nobody wants, give it to me. Later, the college president wrote this, I turned away for my eyes were full of tears. I kept asking myself if I was willing to take the same. Wow. Yeah. How about you? I mean, I, I hear that story and I go, wow. How about me? Yeah. What is always my, my, my first, you know, reaction to things? You know, what, what, what's, what's in it for me? What's good for me kind of thing? I think as human beings, it's our fleshly nature to think of self first. Yeah. And then others second. It's our, it's our fleshly human nature to, to, oh no, it's about me, to center things about me. I know, I see myself. Yeah? Even as Christians, believers who have been saved and we're a new creation and the Holy Spirit is in us, we can make a habit where the first thought in your mind is me. Me. Well, Jesus is saying, you know what? It's better to humble yourself. Give preference to others first. It's better to humble yourself. You know, I, I was thinking about this. Give the floor to the other person first so they can express their feelings. You know, you know those times where you're in heavy conversation and you're like, oh, you just want to get it all out, you know? Well, you're interrupting me. Well, well no, you interrupt, you know, and all that back and forth is going on. Because why? We want to get our thing out there. Yeah. Because we want to. Because I want to. How about maybe humbling yourself? It's better to humble yourself and not demand others yeah, to hear you, to notice you. Yeah. You know what's better? Demand yourself to hear and notice others. That's what we should be demanding. We should demand ourselves, be humble here. Oh, hold your horses. Hey, stay humble. Stay low here. Quiet. Yeah? It's better to humble yourself and then let God be the one to lift you up. And I think about it this way. It's better, you know, to humble myself and to give God the choice if he wants to or not. Yeah. I, I, I tend to look at it that way. So let's stop being like these Pharisees and scribes, playing that celebrity card, so to speak. Let's stop keeping up appearances. So we've seen here the false spirituality, the false celebrity. And number three, our last section from verse 12 to 14, the rest of our, our verses here, the fake hospitality. The fake hospitality. Verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now stop there. So Jesus takes this opportunity to add one more thing. Now, if guests who come shouldn't overestimate their own importance, right? Hosts should not invite only those who think they are important. Yeah, who the host thinks are important. So notice here, I think this is crazy. He said also to the man who had invited him. Who's that man? 
the ruler of Pharisees, right? This is this is this high-ranking guy, you know. This is this, this high up there kind of guy, and so Jesus directs this to that guy, this Pharisee. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus saying to this guy? But it's but it's it's true. So he he takes the opportunity to confront him, to reach out to him, really, to make him see his own faults in his legalistic mind, where he thinks everyone else is wrong, but he's doing wrong. So basically, he tells the guy, don't just exclusively invite your friends, your family, your relatives, or even rich neighbors. That's a key there. Yeah. It, it, the point is not to invite them, but really, why you exclusively yeah, invite these guys? I mean, wh- why? Because, well, he, he says here, well, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, understand what, what Jesus is saying. This was the Pharisee game, I, would, I call it. Oh, you invite me to your party, I'll have you at mine. Yeah. Oh, I got invited to the ruler of the Pharisees' house. Yeah, he had a meal and I, I was there. He invited me or I'm going to invite him to my meal. You see, you know what it was? It was all to build status. Yeah. Oh, get the rich neighbors there. Yeah. Get, get those who, oh, look at you, you know, kind of thing. So these feasts were really all about keeping up appearances. So the invitation to each other's meals was really just fake hospitality. That's what it was. You know, many years ago, one of our neighbors seemed to have that gift of hospitality, like caring for individuals, opening up to individuals, especially taking in kids, you know, who were in need or didn't have anyone. And I was really touched. And, oh, wow, that's so great. But, you know, as time went by, I noticed something. There were some inconsistencies. How come she cared for this one but not for that one? Why in this situation she gives but not in, in the other one where she only complained when it, it was the same thing? Well, after a number of years, I came to the conclusion that she gave, quote-unquote, hospitality to those situations that made her feel good. It was nothing about the other person. It was nothing about the need. It just it was about how good she felt about herself, not so much a concern for the other person. And this was the Pharisees. It made them feel good about themselves with who they invite. Well, look at verse 13 and 14 now. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, verse 14, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, here's Jesus again, instructing them, teaching them. Here's a better thing to do, you guys. When you give a feast, invite the poor, crippled, lame, blind. In the ancient times, in that society, these guys are the bottom of society. Invite these guys. Yeah? Don't make it about status, who, the who's who at your meal, at your get-together. And Jesus says, then you know what? Then you'll be blessed. God will reward you, basically, at the time of the resurrection of the just. That speaks of when believers die and go to heaven and we get rewarded. So 
Jesus saying, look, you'll be blessed by God's reward because you blessed those who had no means to repay you. So Jesus defines really what hospitality really is, and this is our last point. True hospitality is giving without expecting anything in return. That's really what what it's about. True hospitality is giving without expecting anything in return. You know, I was thinking about sometimes organizations raise money by selling raffle tickets. We've we've all been to that. And we've all been partake. You know, you pay, right, a certain amount of dollars to get tickets. And the tickets have a number on it. And then they have a drawing. And when the number's drawn and you win the item that they're drawing, or if you have the same number, you know, of the ticket, right? And, and, and then sometimes, oh, you really want something, so you buy more tickets, right? So you can have more chances to win that item. Oh, yeah, look, it's an iPad they're giving away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in more tickets and put more money. I mean, it's, it's a fundraiser, right? But think of how that really preys on our selfishness, yeah, <laughs> on our flesh, I mean, the more you want that item, the more money you give. But you're not really giving, right? You're not just giving to expect nothing in return, but you want to win something. But the hospitality of the Pharisees was to to expect a return favor. That was them, yeah? But I I don't want to be like the Pharisees, yeah? I don't want to be like that. I, I want to learn and understand what Jesus is saying here. To be hospitable is, is not because I'm going to get something in return, not because I look good you know, to others. Oh, what a nice guy he did this. But it's just to be the person God wants me to be, someone who loves God and who truly cares for others. That's what it comes down to. These guys look like they're so spiritual, yeah, and they 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 walked around like they're celebrities, and they did things. Oh, I'm look, I'm 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 I have hospitality, and you know they seem so godly in that way, but they really don't. They really weren't, and Jesus exposes that. But notice at the same time, he shares with them what the right thing to do is. I think that that's his heart. He's trying to reach these guys. And so Jesus Jesus is saying, look, you want to be blessed? You really want the, the blessing of God? Look, be the real thing here. Yeah? Don't be fake in your spirituality. Don't be the fake celebrity. Don't, don't fake hospitality. No, be the real thing. I'll close with this. A small Christian college was struggling financially and one day, a very wealthy man came on campus, and he found this uh, white-haired man in overalls painting the wall, and he asked where he could find the president. Well, the painter pointed out the office building on campus, said he was sure the president could be seen there at noon. Well, at noon, the visitor knocked on the door. To his surprise, the same man who was painting the wall greeted him. But now, this man, the president, was dressed differently. After going out to lunch have, and have, uh, asking him some questions about the college and having them answered, the man uh, went and left the college. Two days later, a letter arrived and, to the president and told of how 
this visitor, this man was so touched by the humility of that one who held uh, the position of college president, yet not too proud to fill a need like paint the wall. He was so moved by that that he felt compelled to donate a check for $50,000. I think that's a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. Just be real. Humble yourself. Yeah. Just live as believers should do, as humble servants of Jesus. And not be so concerned about keeping up appearances. Let's pray. Jesus, we, as we come to you, my Lord, I ask that you forgive us, Lord, of the times we do keep up appearances, of times where we have a double standard, God, where we're lenient on ourselves but not on others. Lord, forgive us for our legalism sometimes, God, that can blind us to that. God, forgive us, Lord, of, of seeking status or how good we look in front of others, Lord, more than just obeying your word. Forgive us for pushing ourselves and not being humble, Lord, pushing our agenda or pushing what we think without listening to the hurting heart of another person. And Lord, forgive us that we will use, Lord, even hospitality for our own gain. Lord, putting that out there, God, making it seem like, oh, we're such a nice person when in reality we're just trying to build ourselves up, Lord. And we really don't care for others. But God, we want to be genuine and we want to be true. We don't want our flesh and the habits that we have to define us, Lord. But let our character be like you, how you see things, how you see people, Lord. How when you came to this earth, you came humbly, Lord. And so, God, let that one mind be in us, Lord. How you humbly came to this earth when you first came, God. May we humble ourselves and trust that if you want to lift us up and exalt us, you will. But that doesn't matter any, anymore. But what matters is how much we honor you, God. That's who I want to exalt. That's who I want to glorify. And by the way I live, what I say, the attitudes that I carry, Lord, help that reflect that you are in my heart and glorify you tonight. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.